welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face. Brushes with the police? Oh boy. Family disputes? Oh no. An injury and accident situations? Ouch. And now, here's Paul. There, and how are you today? Hello, hello. This is Monday, meaning that here on the Legal Merry-Go-Round, it is Marital Monday, where I'm going to talk about something today, which is, in my mind, one of the most fascinating uh, adoption cases that I've ever seen. I just came across this and decided to share this entire program about this single adoption which very well might be the most expensive adoption in history. Uh, I want to share before I get into that, that if you are a regular listener to the legal merry-go-round here, uh, thank you for that, of course. But you know that I'm going to tell you right now uh, that I want you always to avoid the downs and savor the ups of the legal system. Yes, that's right. Savor the ups and avoid the downs. Doesn't matter which I put first. The concept is enjoy the good things in life and get rid of the bad, the negative energy, the heaviness hanging over you. You don't need that in your life. Do what you can to be a happy person. And I also wanna just very quickly before I hit this about this amazingly interesting adoption, I wanna hit a kudos and a thank you and a shout out to my sponsor for this podcast, The Legal Writing Launch. Okay, what is that? The Legal Writing Launch. I have a friend, a woman by the name of Bev Myers, who is a professor uh, and a law student out in the Bay Area, San Francisco area out in California. And Bev actually used to be a member of the California Attorney General's Office, quite a heady uh, position, a a very, very... uh, uh, a fine accomplishment for her to have that on her resume. And she is currently a law professor and she has a legal writing class. It's called Legal Writing Launch. And you can go and sign up for this. And you're saying, well, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a law student. What do I want this for? You want it because you want it because it's going to teach you how to think and speak and write clearly and concisely. That's something everybody would want, I would think. Uh, You get a 10% discount when you sign up at her website, legalwritinglaunch.com, just by entering in the discount code area the name of this podcast, The Legal Merry-Go-Round. So shout out to Bev. You can email her, bev at legalwritinglaunch.com, or go to her website and just sign up. You have choices. There's three different classes, depending upon what you're interested in. LegalWritingLaunch.com. Thank you, Bev. Great, great course. Now to hit this about this adoption, this again, in my mind, is probably one of the most interesting adoption cases that I've ever seen. And the circumstances of this involved a very discreet understanding of what I'm gonna call Indian tribal law. There was a couple that had a child and the husband was about 2% Native American, the Cherokee nation uh, was in his blood. 
So let me just go and give you all the facts, and then we go through this very, very interesting legal uh, wrangling that ends up with uh, a decision as to where this little beautiful baby Veronica is going to end up. The adoption dispute um, started off with um, the uh, uh, parents, Christy Maldonado, uh, a woman from Oklahoma, primarily of Hispanic heritage, and she was engaged to be married to Dustin Brown, a member of the Cherokee Nation, who is technically about 2% Native American. In 2009, Christy, who was a casino worker and a single mother of two children before this, told Dustin that she was pregnant, but the relationship deteriorated and she broke off the engagement. All right, well, it gets a little sticky from here. Um, a quote from this guy, from Dustin, he says, it, it hit me like it was in the gut, knowing um, that the, uh, um, uh, the child that, that I was going to have uh, wasn't going to be mine. And Christy, um, you know, figuring that she was going to keep the child, right? Christy says that uh, after um, she told him, uh, he went kind of nutsoid and said, all right, fine, I don't want anything to do with it. And, and then she got all upset, of course, um, saying that she, knowing the father of the child didn't want her at all. So at that point, she says she decided that she had to do what she had to do. Uh, and, and she wasn't a woman of means and was scratching, you know, pay, uh, paycheck to paycheck together, just even to pay the rent and put food on the, the table for herself and her other two kids. Um, so she decided to adopt, to have uh, someone adopt uh, the, the baby that would be inside her. Well, um, I'm going to jump forward for a moment and tell you how, how actually sticky this gets. And, and you wonder, you know, if there's some kind of uh, interest going on beyond what the law might be. Um, it eventually wake, makes its way up to the Supreme Court of the United States at the time, Chief, Chief Justice John Roberts and Justin, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas uh, were going to be involved. Uh, they didn't know it yet when it's working its way through all the state courts, um, but they would end up having you know, a, a vote in this decision. And interestingly enough, both uh, Justice uh, Chief Justice Roberts and uh, Justice Thomas both have adopted children. All right, well... By way of background, at issue here is the reach of what is called the Indian Child Welfare Act, known as the ICWA. The law was enacted in 1978 to protect Native American tribes from having their children almost literally stolen away and given to non-Indian adoptive or uh, foster parents. Uh, apparently, there was uh, a lot of this going on in the 60s and 70s where Native American children were being taken out of the Indian world. So this law was passed. All right. So um, the fact of the pregnancy was clear. Uh, a lot of what happened was, uh, as it went over for the next three, four years, he said, she said. But Christy, again, I mentioned 
decided to put up her child for adoption. Through an agency, uh, she found a couple in South Carolina that she liked, uh, a couple by the last name of Capo Bianco, Matt and Melanie Capo Bianco. And the three of them agreed to what is called an open adoption. Okay, the Capo, Capo Biancos helped support Christy in the last months of her pregnancy, and they were actually in the delivery room for the, uh, for the birth of, of, of little Veronica. Matt cuts the umbilical cord. Okay, well, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, that shows, you know, he's really involved, I guess. Now, a month prior to the birth, uh, Christy, through her lawyer, sent a letter notifying the Cherokee Nation of her adoption plans, giving them a chance to intervene under the Indian Child Welfare Act. I researched and researched for the life of me. I couldn't figure out why she did that, but she did. The tribe said it had no record of Dustin Brown as a tribal member. So the adoption went forward. All right, so here's then what happens next. Four months after the birth of the little baby girl, Veronica, as Dustin was about to deploy to Iraq, and as the adoption was about to become final, he was served with papers notifying him of the adoption. He signed off on them, uh, but inadvertently, he says. Then he realized what was going on, and within days, he filed a formal objection invoking the Indian Child Welfare Act. He says that in agreeing to give up his parental rights, he thought he was relinquishing his parental rights to Christy, the, the, the you know, little Veronica's mother. Uh, he figured that would be in the best interest for Christy to have the full custody of the little girl, uh, but for him still to be in the picture, to be able to come visit and things, he says. So when he learns about the adoption, he then says, well, I want full custody of my daughter. Uh, there's no doubt that he would have no leg to stand on under state law. By the time the case went to court, the Cherokee Nation had located him in the records, and the South Carolina courts ruled that the Indian Child Welfare Act trumped state law. So, you know, he had no state law claim, but this federal act, uh, you know, now takes priority. So, you know, the South Carolina Supreme Court ordered the Capo Biancos to give their then two-year-old daughter to uh, to her biological father, uh, a man, you know, this Dustin, the little girl had never met. You can imagine the Copo Biancos' grief and, and torment. Uh, they were quoted, uh, I'm sure you can appreciate, it was the worst day of our lives. So they appealed to the United States Supreme Court backed by the birth mother and an independent lawyer, which is called the guardian ad litem, uh, who was appointed by the South Carolina Family Court to represent, as in all of these cases, the best interests of the child. Now, normally the Supreme Court would not get involved to hear a family law type dispute, but this was a case involving a federal statute, the Indian Child Welfare Act, so they did uh, agree to hear the case. There were clearly competing views. Listen to these, and then after the break, I'm going to come back and tell you what happened. 
the child Indian Child Welfare Act was enacted after extensive congressional investigation and hearings, and it revealed that almost 35 to 40 percent of Native American children were being improperly removed from their families and given to white adoptive and foster parents. The abuses were called catastrophic for the tribes, uh, which were at risk of becoming extinct because their children were literally being taken away from them. <coughs> Excuse me, I didn't mean to cough in your ear. To combat this dire situation, the federal law established a chain of adopted preferences for children with Indian heritage. In the event that neither parent could take custody, other Indian family members were to have priority, and after that, tribal adoptive parents. As the adoptive parents see this case at this point, they were not stealing a child from an Indian parent because the only parent with Indian heritage uh, had already given up his parental rights. Um, their lawyer said that the federal law was meant to protect Indian children from being snatched from their existing Indian families. So even if Dustin qualifies as a parent under the law, the act only protects those parents who already have a prior custodial relationship, uh, according to the Capo Bianco's lawyer. Well, okay, ping pong back and forth, right? Not so, say the tribes. They saw the case as an attempt to undo the protections of that federal law that Congress established in the face of evidence that states were trampling on the rights of Native American parents. Uh, Congress decided they had to step in, said their lawyer, and it did so by creating special federal rules superseding state custody rules that would govern where Indian children uh, would end up, where Indian child custody was at stake. According to the birth mother's lawyer, the case was about the autonomy, the independence of ability to decide what happens to your child of a non-Indian mother. Uh, the lawyer for the mother said that if Indian fathers can sweep in this way based only on biology and override the birth mother's decision, uh, why couldn't sperm donors or rapists who are Indian do the same? No other set of men can choose to kind of sit back, renounce all responsibilities, but hold, uh, hold a back pocket veto uh, to an adoption choice. Well, as you're listening to all these arguments, I'm sure that you're nodding your head that, yeah, they all make sense. Um, it, it just is, it's, it's absolutely, in my mind, absolutely fascinating. Um, one of the lawyers says, generally, you're not allowed to say, well, look, I don't really want to give you any financial support. I don't want to have much to do with this child, but I really want you, the person I've just gotten pregnant uh, I want you uh, to take care of this child, uh, and I don't want you to do something like give up this child for adoption. Well, okay, I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> that's the position of of, uh, of basically the characterization by one of the lawyers as to what the father was doing. Um, what's more, he adds under state law, this lawyer with that argument just a moment ago, 
that it's in the best interest of the child uh, that the adoptive parents prevail, uh, except that this federal statute applies and applies only on the basis of her Indian heritage, well, then everything changes. It just completely shifts the focus of the whole proceeding uh, based around race. And that's something generally we wouldn't think that the Constitution allows. Alrighty, well, I'm going to come back after the break and share with you what happens in this very interesting case. Don't go away. So this is a uh, an innovative answer to a uh, a convicted person of uh, complaining the the sentence from the judge. A judge uh, gives a sentence to a an exotic dancer, right? A, a stripper, an exotic dancer who had pled guilty in the judge's court on a drug charge, but had been let out uh, and was required to wear one of those ankle monitors. So. After a couple of days, the uh, the exotic dancer comes back into the judge with a request uh, because the the ankle monitor is ruining the vibe. Uh, it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't work with the the costume. So the judge, uh, you know, a very inventive individual, says, "I got a great idea for you. Bedazzle that thing to match your outfits." Motion denied. Okay, it's break time here on the merry-go-round. We want to give you value. So, do you need an attorney for an injury case or a criminal matter or something involving family law? Mr. Samico has the answer for you. Go to our podcast website, www.thelegalmerrygoround.com. Again, that's thelegalmerrygoround.com and click on the referrals tab. Then either fill out the form or call the telephone number where you can leave a detailed message that Mr. Samico will pick up and you'll get a response with a referral to an excellent attorney in your area within eight business hours. And the referral is free, no charge to you for this referral. So again, if you're looking for a lawyer that meets the highest standards, Paul is going to hook you up. And every attorney he refers to meets the highest standards, and Paul has checked them out for you. If you like what you're hearing from him during these shows, you know he's going to take care of you. So go to thelegalmerrygoround.com. And now, back to the show. Okay, we are back. I know you've been hanging off the edge of your chair wondering what's going to happen. So I'm going to go back and just do a real quick recap and then I'm going to play, uh, you know, give you that drum roll and tell you how it all ended up. Okay, so again, we have a, uh, uh, a gentleman who is a, a member of the Indian tribes, 2% in his bloodline, using a federal law to suggest that he should be the father after the biological mother says that she's going to give up the child for adoption. He wants only to protect 
uh, his interest in the child, according to him, and that he thought that the biological mother was going to keep the child when he said, no, I'm not interested in being involved. Uh, but I don't like the fact that you're going to give the child away for adoption. So all kinds of legal wrangling and maneuvers. Um, in July of 2012, this is uh, early teens of, uh, you know, about a decade ago or just a little bit less, uh, the South Carolina Supreme Court, which is where the adoptive parents lived, um, ruled three to two that the, uh, in favor of the adoptive parents, that the Indian Child Welfare Act um, favored um, the biological father, excuse me, I mis misspoke. The South Carolina uh, court says that, you know, dad, uh, Dustin Brown, gets the child back. Um, the adoptive parents, of course, appeal. As I mentioned, it goes to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court then decides five to four in favor of the adoptive parents. This time I got it right. Uh, even I'm confused trying to follow this, uh, this meandering legal process. But the Supreme Court says five to four, yes, the father uh, does not get the child. The adoptive parents get the child. They say a Native American child did not have to be taken away from her adoptive parents and given to her biological father. The decision simply allowed for the possibility of the adoptive parents uh, to adopt little baby Veronica. But what happened is that prior to uh, the uh, Supreme Court's decision, uh, which was in 2013, based on the South Carolina's decision in 2012. So Matt uh, um, and uh, Melanie uh, had to give the child back to the father in 2012, and he moves to Oklahoma. Okay, so after the Supreme Court decision in 2014, um, the South Carolina Supreme Court then decides three to two uh, that the adoptive parents then, in fact, do get the child. So now we've got the Supreme Court and the court, the High Court of South Carolina saying, okay, uh, adoptive parents get baby Veronica back, and they ordered the lower family court to finalize the adoption there in South Carolina. But okay, we're still, you know, dealing with uh, with Matt, who has, you know, physical custody of little baby Veronica in Oklahoma. And what do you know? After the South Carolina Supreme Court decision, um, again in 2013, three of the largest Native American organizations prepared to intervene at a press conference. Representatives from the National Congress of American Indians the Native American Rights Fund, and the National Indian Child Welfare Association said they were going to file a civil rights lawsuit if the South Carolina Supreme Court didn't reconsider its decision to terminate Cherokee Nation citizen Dustin Brown's parental rights without a best interest custody hearing. Whew, okay. So they go ahead and they file these three organizations, these Native American organizations, filed a federal civil rights complaint on behalf of the now three-year-old little baby Veronica. Well, 
Guess what happens? More than 40 tribes, attorneys general, scholars, and organizations signed a letter in support of the lawsuit, including the Intertribal Council of the Five Civilized Tribes, of which Veronica and Dustin Brown's tribe, the Cherokee Nation, were a member. This just gets more and more interesting. The court, Supreme Court, refuses to intervene. This is late summer of 2013, uh, after all these interested parties are you know, showing up, uh, giving their opinions. The week of August 4th, 2013, Supreme Court again has refused to intervene. Veronica's transition was scheduled, but Brown never shows up. Her transition back to uh, the adoptive parents, because that's the last legal ruling. But Brown is nowhere to be found. Judge Martin in uh, the court uh, now handling this issues an enforcement order for Brown to immediately transfer Veronica back to her lawful parents and ask for assistance from law enforcement. Uh, the adoptive parents hold a press conference in Charleston asking for help locating their daughter. The governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley, signs an extradition warrant for Brown. Um, she's been working with law enforcement and the solicitor's office to issue a requisition warrant today, said a spokesperson for her office. She stands in support of the adoptive parents and shares their desire to bring Veronica home safely. Finally, Brown turns himself into authorities in Oklahoma. Matt and Melanie, the adoptive parents, leave for Oklahoma to go get the baby. Well, okay. The Oklahoma Supreme Court now, because this is, you know, where the husband, uh, the adoptive, uh, excuse me, where Matt, ooh, I'm getting all these uh, players mixed up here. The Oklahoma Supreme Court gets involved because that's where the biological father, uh, Dustin Brown, lives. They granted an emergency stay to keep Veronica with him. And they plan to hear arguments from his lawyers and those, those are the girl's adoptive parents. In the meantime, South Carolina uh, signs an extradition warrant. Um, this just goes back and forth and back and forth. Isn't this just, you know, you got the Supreme Court not getting involved and you got uh, South Carolina saying, uh, you know, he's a, a wanted man, bring, uh, bring the child back. You got uh, Oklahoma saying, Oh, my goodness, you know, no, we're going to stand up for him. Finally, the Oklahoma Supreme Court rules in September of 2013 uh, that it would not intervene. Veronica, now four years old, was finally handed over to Matt and Melanie Capo Bianco. That's basically the end. Eventually, he gives up his case and all his appeals. A heartbreaking case, clearly. The, um, the parties involved were clearly torn apart in trying to assert their parental rights over this little four-year-old, innocent, little, beautiful girl, Veronica. You can't get mad at anybody here for doing what they believe is the appropriate thing to do 
because they want to be the parent for this little beautiful girl. The end of the story is one where, and again, you can't hate the Copo Biancos. They spent, are you sitting down? They spent over $1 million in legal fees and with this battle that took place over the course of about four years. A million dollars, more than that. So they filed a lawsuit against the Cherokee Nation and against the father, asking for reimbursement of those fees. A couple years later, as that wound, that claim, that case wound its way through the courts, they abandoned that lawsuit. Okay. Do you have a child that you're going to adopt? Good for you. You are an angel. Do you have a child that you can't take care of and you have to give up for adoption? There's nothing wrong with that. There's lots of reasons why individuals, women, parents might give up a child to be adopted theoretically for a better life for any number of reasons could be financial, could be social station. I mean, who knows? This is, I think in our society, probably one of the most emotionally charged issues that we can find. Who doesn't love a child? Who doesn't want the best interest of the child? This case was one of the most protracted and one of the most interesting legal battles. If you have any interest to read more about this, you might do that. Go onto your internet service uh, group, Google, wherever you want, and just search under the name Dustin Brown, D-U-S-T-E-N, Dustin Brown. And you could even type in after that, Baby Veronica. And you'll see 50 articles where you can read about this. I hope that you have a wonderful and solid family, that you love them, they love you, and that you raise children to become wonderful people. And if adoption is in the mix for you, uh, then that means perhaps that these children are very, very special because you reached out and you adopted them. I'm looking forward to talking with you again on Wednesday here at the Legal Merry-Go-Round. As you know, that's called Wrongdoer Wednesdays, where I'll be talking about things that are in the world of crime. Thank you for giving me your ear. Please give me a review on Apple if you are of a mind to. I'd love to, to get that. Please subscribe to this podcast. That would really help out. This is relatively new, uh, a new show, as you know. Thank you again. See you next time. Thanks for listening to The Legal Merry-Go-Round. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real-life legal situations. Thank you.